Good evening, darklings far and wide. My name is Dave Schrader. And during a routine surgery, I died. That's it, flatlined. I was 17 years old having knee surgery, and they uncovered a heart problem that they had over-anesthetized me for. I was gone for two minutes. I have no memory of a tunnel of light. I don't remember being surrounded by friends and relatives. There was no chorus of angels to greet me. There was nothing, which only fed my fear of death for many, many years. Why is it that there are some who have extraordinary examples, especially if the brain truly is going through a process of death? It should affect everyone, but it doesn't. There's a brand new documentary called After Death. We're going to discuss that with the directors and the people behind the scenes. We'll do that when we return and try to explore the true final frontier. We'll do that next right here on the Paranormal 60. I'm not going to stand here and listen to this baloney. He won't float. He doesn't stand for baloney. Sounds like a lot of supernatural baloney to me. Supernatural. Perhaps... Baloney, perhaps not. After Death is a brand new film that explores one of life's biggest mysteries. What happens when we die? With New York Times bestselling authors, doctors, scientists, and survivors, this is a captivating feature-length documentary that explores the enigmatic question we all face. What happens when we die? It's a masterfully made film, fascinating to give you the insights from many different styles of personality, belief systems, and more. I have a link for more information about this documentary on today's program guide, and I hope that you will check it out for yourself. Help me welcome to the program. We've got director Stephen Gray joining us. Good evening, Stephen. Good evening, Dave. Thank you so much. And also joining us, Jason Pamer. Hi. Hello, Jason. How are you? And Jen Jacob, Jen's Jacob, welcome to the show. Thank you all for being here today. Thanks, Dave. Thanks Pleasure. for having us. All right. I, I opened the show by sharing just a smidgen of my own strange experience with death and the fact that nothing happened for me. Now, I've been able to kind of equate it to the fact that aside from having a chronic fear of death my entire life. I'm also somebody that's dealt with depression and anxiety. And I've often wondered if maybe I was kept from having that euphoric experience because it might just be something that feeds a monster that I can't put away. And if I know there's a life after this, without a doubt, that maybe that would be a little bit of an easier jump for me. And I don't know, in, in your work and research and speaking to experiencers, what do you make of, of, you know, the concept that some people are prone to this opportunity while others are truly left in the dark? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, Dave. Uh, I mean, first, I'll probably start by, uh, you know, the reason why we, we made the film in, in, in the beginning. So um, I, it actually came from loss. So for myself, I didn't have a near-death experience. I don't know anyone in, in my family that had a near-death experience, but uh, 
my brother-in-law was killed um, back in 2012. And that caused me to ask, you know, these really critical questions, you know, is there something after or not? And, uh, and yeah, and I, basically, I just went down a, a path of reading as many books as I could get my hands on uh, when, when it was recommended to me to read these, these stories of people who had died and had these experiences and, and it came back. And so um, I, I want to say probably in the first year or so, I, I read over 30 books um, and uh, yeah, they caught my attention. I, and I just felt like that wasn't explored enough in a, in a film format. That's where Jens and Jason come in as producers on this project, um, really kind of, you know, brought it to life and, and, and made it kind of as, as visually stunning as, as it is. Um, but yeah, the, the, the film just kind of, it asks those questions, is, is, is there something after or not? And so vicariously, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of living some of these experiences, uh, talking to lots of these different people. And then we're also interviewing experts, uh, some of the people in our film have been studying this for well over 30 years. Um, and yeah, there, we were just having a conversation recently out in Austin, Texas on this very topic of, is there a common, uh, is there a common element to people that have this experience? Is it random? Why someone, you know, who, who flatlines, you know, remembers their experience or doesn't remember their experiences. And, um, yeah, we're getting all kinds of mixed uh, answers on that. I don't know that we'll 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 settle on one thing, uh, but um, it's a, it's an interesting question. I don't know, Jason, if you have any other well, thoughts I, on that. I would just add quickly that Dr. Mary Neal from the film called out that she thinks it's a matter of remembering or not remembering, not mm -hmm. a matter of did some people have something happen or did you know and did others not. Um, but she was pretty convinced of that. I don't know if she cited any data on that, but I think she was saying that that her view is everybody that has these near-death experiences actually goes through a series of uh, experiences. Now, some can remember, some cannot. I think a third or so are, are kind of this hellish, dark experience and not the angelic side, which was something we tackled and, and, and went after in the film as well, which was – I had never – heard about that. And that's, you know, those books are not as readily published. Those stories are not as readily shared, like maybe for some obvious reasons. And some mm -hmm. people bravely shared that. In fact, two or three of the folks in our film shared that experience. And in fact, it actually made its way into the reenactment section a bit of our film as well. I will mention for our listeners this Wednesday, we have another uh, follow-up show. It is uh, more paranormal encounters. Um, so if you tuned in last Wednesday and got to hear encounters of all different sorts this week, we do cover a near death experience from hell, a uh, person that made their way to the depths and back out again and what that lesson was like for them. So make sure you tune in on Wednesday to check that out. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting, and I love the fact that you have Dr. Raymond Moody as a part of this program. He's been a great friend of ours uh, on our show for years and and just an um, amazing individual looking into these questions that a lot of people are afraid to step up to and, right. and examine, at least examine openly. Um, when you decide to take on a project like this, and Jens, we'll, we'll roll to you for a second, and you hear the concept of life after death, the near-death experiences – were were you open to this as being a reality or was this something that it was, well, let's just put together a good product and see where it goes from there? Yeah, it's a great question. It, it kind of also goes back to when you introed this segment about um, your personal experience about 
fearing death and and depression. Thank you for being so transparent about that. I, I think I I had a very similar background. I, I I think I feared death, not for even how I was going to die, but this this idea of non existing. I don't know why right. it, it 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 just I would go into this dark place trying to figure out that question and. Uh, so I've I've dealt with the the question for a while, and and so when Steve brought the project around near death experiences, I you kind of heard the stories here and there, but never really um, did a deep dive myself uh, into mm-hmm. the into the subject. So I think for me, just because of how interested I was in the science of this, uh, Steve did a really good job of balancing the personal stories and the scientific evidence behind near death experience. I think a lot of the film adaptations that have happened are the kind of like the personal stories. Um, but hard to say that, Oh, it led you to believe more or less. It was just a feel good kind of story. Um, so I think when, when Steve brought it to our company, Cypher studios, which Jason and I, uh, both run, uh, we were all in, we saw uh, a little bit of uh, a short that Steve put together and based on some of the questioning. So I, I think, from two two places from from the from the questioning side, but then also, I grew up in a uh, a faith background in the sense that mm-hmm. my parents went to church, um, and so I questioned it a lot in terms of is there something afterwards, and so that's been a lifelong journey for me, and and I'm really happy how the the film decides to tackle that as well because it doesn't matter what you believe coming into it. Uh, I think there's something that you'll get out of it. Stephen, were you surprised that science has taken a pretty uh, interesting look at this from many different angles? Yeah, that, that it was surprising. Yeah, I mean, the hook for me again was was the personal stories. Uh, but you know, as mm-hmm. I started to peel back the layers and, and got into some of the early stuff in the, in the 1970s, especially Dr. Raymond Moody and some of the earlier works. It was interesting to see kind of how, how that world unfolded and how it kind of overlapped with with the science community. Dr. Sabum in our film, he's he's sort of the skeptic uh, throughout the course of, of the film. He's a cardiologist, and he was actually there, uh, you know, at the very beginning with Dr. Raymond Moody, and putting some rigorous kind of scientific uh, approach to, you know, how how do we go about tackling some of this uh, from a scientific angle? Well, you know, it's it's so it's not something we can observe, right? So what, in what ways can we study it in terms of a scientific uh, angle? And um, yeah, I've, it's been, uh, it's, it's been helpful, I think, um, especially for a lot of my skeptic friends that um, just to be able to kind of at least, you know, have them consider some of this a little bit more. There's, there's a lot of data points, like there's just, there's so many. And um, I think the sheer fact that this is happening, you know, to, you know, it was, I think initially it was hundreds of thousands of people and they were discovering, you know, more and more depending on how the term near death experience is used, um, mm-hmm. you know, within the millions around the world. And so it's, it's, it's so common that it's hard to ignore. And it's fascinating that no matter what religious background, uh, racial uh, group you come from, that it does seem to affect everybody skeptics and believers alike uh, let's let's do real quick i want to show the trailer for our viewers to take a look at what comes after death it was a wake-up call 75 percent of the people in that first study had had a documented cardiac arrest 
You know, this was part of what made me feel better by watching the the documentary and then seeing it again in the trailer is the fact that, right, they talk about the fact that uh, many of the people that have had these near-death experiences have had it in a similar way, perhaps because when we go in for surgeries, they're giving us a mix of cocktail drugs, right, that one to kind of shield us from pain, one to shield us from memory, and one to to knock us out. It could be that I very much did have a, a paranormal experience seeing these things, but because of that uh, medication they give you to try to clear your memory so you don't remember if you wake up or have a lot of pain during that segment, could that have an impact or an effect on that cognitive memory? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I feel like there's there's got to be something that's happening there. I mean, one of the doctors that we talked to, Dr. Bruce Grayson, who he's not in the film, but we, we were engaging with him earlier on, um, you know, in terms of the, the science and the medical side to it. Um, it was it was interesting also to kind of explore in the ER in a hospital, um, somebody comes in and, and, and they are unresponsive and we don't know the circumstances. Uh, typically, they're given something that would block any kind of narcotic um, to, uh, you know, just just stop that from interfering with the, with the brain. It's not harmful if, mm-hmm. if, if they weren't, uh, you know, if that wasn't the cause of, of them coming in in that way. And, and, uh, but that, that in itself should actually stop uh, any kind of like hallucinogenic compound that would be happening in, in the brain. And, uh, and yet people are having these experiences, um, you know, whether they were given any kind of medication in the hospital or it was happening elsewhere outside of the hospital as well. So, yeah. And it's a powerful uh, movement to have people uh, recalling these aspects and that sciences and hospitals have taken it so seriously that they've even hidden uh, sigils and things on layers of the hospital ceilings and even on the roof that people have come back and said, hey, by the way, do you guys know you have a yellow sneaker up in the sh- uh, in the ceiling tiles? And it, right. I mean, it's funny that science has to be covert about this. We can look at the study of death and the understanding of how the human body works and the frailties of it. But when you want to examine beyond that consciousness, it starts getting uh, wonky for a lot of doctors and scientists. It becomes more of this fringe element. But here we are in 2021, and we still don't have a, a firm grasp of what death even is, right? They're now realizing, hey, consciousness may be in there for another three hours after we call. And there have been cases where doctors have brought people back much longer than they've, you know, when they've been gone much longer than they should have. And they come back with absolutely no 
brain damage or long-term effect showing that we are still, it seems in the infancy of really understanding the physical side of death, let alone the mental or conscious side of it. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that shocked me through this process was learning more about death and what medically pronounced death meant. And I think for me, I always thought that that was hard science. You knew exactly when somebody dies, when the heart stops beating and when their, their brain shuts off. I thought it was like a clear cut answer going through this process blew my mind away that there's still a spectrum that is there that we still, at least with our current science, can't measure exactly what's the point of no return. I just thought that was the most fascinating. And there are doctors and scientists now in Germany finding ways that they may be able to re jumpstart the brain after death to create life again. And in not so, so much a Dr. Frankenstein way, but giving that burst back to the, the body to see if it can come back. And it seems like in some of the earlier uh, testing that they're finding some really fascinating results in the, 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 the program, the way they're doing it now, you know, I think it's going to be strange and I don't know how much pushback there's going to be from humanity for, you know, horsing around with, with death and, and what comes back, but it, it hasn't stopped companies like cryogenics labs, right? They've taken dead dogs, froze them, brought them back out, put them back together, proven that it doesn't work so well, but yet that's their, their motto or their, their scapegoat for uh, going forward. Hey, look, we brought him back. And other than the fact he's blind, deaf and can't walk, <laughs> we brought him back. That's, that's a, and that's with no knowledge. Imagine how much better we'll be in 30 years. And people are buying into that because people don't want to, like you brought up, Jens, the whole idea of just life stopping is really a hard concept for people. Even for those of us that don't have siblings and weren't afraid that if I die, they're going to get my toys. That might be the basics for a lot of people. But in case it's something, again, that that drives many of us is not wanting to not be here anymore. Well, we all know how that movie ends. Um, Anytime you start messing with (laughs) genetics and trying to bring people back to life and (laughs) all that. Yeah, but it doesn't stop science. They've just, in an article we just talked about a few weeks ago, they've uh, used human uh, DNA to inject into uh, chimpanzee brains to expand the size of their brain, believing that that will help them learn and educate more. And apparently nobody told them to read Pierre Boulet's book, uh, Planet of the Apes. That's not a good plan, but science marches on, man. Science marches on. We are self-prophesizing everything, and it's uh, pretty creepy. Listen, one big effect and problem that the skeptics have is the fact that there are scientists and brain surgeons and neuroscientists that say that those bright lights, the flashes, the memories, that is just the brain snuffing out. And then you've got Dr. Eben Alexander, a a neurobrain scientist who did not believe, was an ardent skeptic and a... a, um, Gosh, the word is jaunted out of my brain, but uh, he believed in none of this. And he came back and it has completely and utterly changed his life and understanding of what happens, you know, to the brain and to the physical form during these moments of death. What was the biggest surprise for each one of you? And we'll start with you, Stephen. And in this documentary, what element came out that you weren't even ready for? Well, I, I think, you know, what some of the stuff we're talking about here were, uh, was probably a great surprise uh, in terms of, you know, that we don't really have really clear definitions of what death is. 
Dr. Zamar is in our film and, and he, he has the first ever recorded dying human brain a study on it that was published in 2022. And, and I mean, that picked up in the science community all around the world. And he's still right now, like he's out in, in Europe and he's still trying to help define from a medical standpoint, you know, what is that threshold of death? And you get to really interesting, uh, you know, ethical dilemmas where, you know, even organ transplant, you know, what, when, do, when does life truly end? And when, you know, then that could be in the re reverse, like when does life even begin, right? So mm -hmm. um, yeah, in terms of an organ donation in the United States, that I mean, that's a hot, very hot topic compared to even a lot of other countries. And um, there's a lot of, you know, challenging ethical questions that come up uh, in terms of, you know, when, when the human dies and, you know, are we our brain or not? That Mary in our film, she's a she's a uh, orthopedic spine surgeon, and and she she died by drowning. She was underwater for thirty minutes without oxygen uh, before re any resuscitation uh, efforts had started because they it took a long time to get her out of the, out of the water. And she talks about um, you know she actually tried to disprove this near death experience because of some of the things that she she was shown that would happen in the future in her in her own life, and mm. she. Um, she was challenged with, uh, you know, the implications of that. And so for her, it was, it was probably easier to try and discount this whole experience that maybe it is something in the brain, the brain is misfiring and, and, and something is happening, some kind of chemical compound or, or something that's happening in the brain as she's dying that could, you know, that could kind of, uh, say what, what happened here. And then she, after a couple of years of going down that road found that, uh, it was more and more almost impossible for her to have had a conscious memory uh, in terms of how the brain starts not working, right? So if you don't have oxygen mm -hmm. in your brain, basically what happens is uh, you, you're having more disjointed memory and eventually you're not able to retain memory. If you don't have, if you don't have oxygen or blood flow going to the brain, you're just not the brain. It's just a physical matter. You're not able to create new pathways. You're not creating new memories. And so, and yet she's having all of these profound memories and these aren't, these aren't um, new experiences that are uh, dreamlike. She and everyone else in our film would describe whether it's a heaven experience or a hell experience, they would all describe that this, what they experienced, it was more real than here. And mm -hmm. so that's what she was really kind of, you know, challenged with. It, it was like, it was tangibly a, a different a different kind of conscious experience. She she has a conscious waking experience here, and you go to sleep, and then you you wake up. Uh, but somehow, when she went into death, that experience was it was more conscious, more consciousness. It it was experienced there than than here. Um, it's it's probably worth calling out too, though, that the thing she saw that she wanted to believe wasn't wasn't going to become true was that her oldest son was going to die before he hit age of 18, right, Steve? Yeah, that's 18. correct. Yeah. And when she came back, she didn't share that right away. She shared it years later, but she, she wrote it down. And, and that was something that she was trying to, if she could disprove the things she just experienced, then therefore the things she saw about her son may not in fact come to pass. So she had a lot of incentive to disprove right. it. And, you know, she, she also, this is, this is the thing that really kind of was remarkable to me. She experienced uh, abuse at the hands of another as a young kid. And in the life review, she saw two things. She saw 30 people out and she only knew persons one and two, but she saw how her life had affected 
persons three through 30. So this idea that like every action really does matter. Every choice mm-hmm. really does matter. And, and she saw how her life, this butterfly effect out to 30 people. So that was one thing that was really interesting to me. The other thing was she saw this person, this abuser, the context around this person's sort of life and the abuse that they suffered. And it didn't justify the pain that they caused Mary, but she had a greater perspective as to why that person did what they did. They too were broken. And it, so to me, it's like, and this kind of kept coming up and up in, in all the interviews and research we were doing was there's a lot of commonalities. I think the amount of data points across the globe, that's on its face, extremely interesting to me. Um, and then the perspective that one gets from this event and, and the life change that, that comes after they come back, they're completely different people. And so like, w- w- why, like, what do they see that sort of move them this direction or, you know, a series of directions, but move them to change so materially. So I threw a couple of things in there, but that was some of the stuff that really kind of lit me up was this unique multidimensional perspective on reality both out laterally and sort of like holistically how your Mm -hmm. life impacts others and how those lives impact you. Yeah. I think also for me to the first part of what Jason said about even what Mary saw um, with her son passing away, Mm -hmm. that it's not always a positive outlook or outcome from these events. I was probably the most skeptical in this group in terms of, when I would hear one of these stories and see a New York Times bestselling book or any of these, it's like, oh, there's there's a reason to tell this story. You can get rich and famous or, or something from one of mm-hmm. these stories. But realizing as we went through the process and heard a lot of the the negative kind of outcomes and experiences, I mean, for one of our subject matters, like it led to his family leaving him. It, it's not always, you know, green grass, butterflies, heaven. I saw heaven and now everything is perfect or, or better. For some people, it, it, it left them in a more kind of tumultuous state um, that they had to constantly, um, you know, live through this experience and also um, have to deal with it and remember it. And so, yeah, I, I thought that was very interesting for me that it kind of gave a little bit more perspective that, Oh, okay. Maybe this happens more often than we know. And maybe just some people are also afraid to even tell it. Well, and you bring up an interesting point, right? When you look at something and you're given this gift of sight and you want to try to not believe what your experience was, but then you see your son dying in a sense, it's a tragedy. In the other sense, it's a gift that you know, and that's something that then you may not be able to change that, but you can change your reality with that person until that time. That's something I think many of us would mm-hmm. give up, uh, you know, years of our own life to know when things are going to happen and how we can be closer to those persons around us. So it, it is interesting. But then you've got the people that have had that uh, near-death experience and they don't want to come back. And then when they're brought back, they're harboring that survivor's guilt in a sense of, you know, I, I want to be back there. I don't, that was a release. This is life sucks. I want to be back where I could spread my wings and see the people I love and, and be a part of that universe. And the, what a strange dichotomy to, to be given the gift and then brought back, unable to just reclaim that, that at any time you want. That's really well said. I think everybody in our film said something along the same lines and it caused tremendous friction and their mm-hmm. immediate circle coming back it was like they tasted something 
literally in many of their cases, tasted things that have never been tasted, seen things that have never been seen, heard and tasted, or what was it? This, the, all the senses combined. So you could, you could see things that you could taste and you could hear things that you could see. And it was like this crazy blending of, of sensor. It's a whole different, well, not different, but it's a whole nother stream go down. But that whole, was like, what, whole new level of consciousness, which is what it seems yeah. to be, right? When the brain is dying and shutting down, but yet the memory is retained. That should prove to science that we do have a cloud we're uploading to, right? That there is right. something besides the physical form that we are that that retains these memories. I, of course, being a paranormal investigator and having done television programs on this for the last 18 years on and off, we learn, these spirits learn how to utilize equipment like monkeys in a lab, you know, flip this switch if you want a peanut, flip this switch if you want milk, right? We find that some of these pieces of equipment, the spirits can figure out how to manipulate to con converse with us. It's not just this... Uh, inexplicable blip that's just a mistake it seems to remain conscious and continues to learn even in death that's a fascinating element to me of the you know the death experience that those that I, whether they choose to stay here or are lost here still seem to retain an element of um evolution and education Sounds yeah, like we have our next film, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I know some people. Give me yeah, a call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? The, the concept of, of consciousness along, and ghosts. Yes. Along those lines, I, I'm curious, what what made you a believer of NDEs? Was there like a specific part of it? I mean, you probably have done more research than we have. And just out of curiosity, have you heard something that was felt undeniable or the collective experience of something well, when that... it, it's stories like uh, dr eben alexander here's a guy that puts his career and his life on the line by talking about these things openly and and dr raymond moody going uh, you know against the grain and just because it's an uncomfortable situation doesn't mean we should ignore it let's talk about it and the fact that these people have something to lose much more than they have to gain in these circumstances so to me that's an important element also the case for for reincarnation to me that's a near death experience that proves that something some part of us may continue on in in different life forms and there have been so many well documented cases that are just extraordinary where children are born and when they get to an age they can speak they can remember villages and in some instance remember how they died and who killed them and they've been taken back to that vi village and fingered the person and the guy admits to it or the woman admits to it that they did in fact kill that spouse or friend or brother and you know i mean that is so mind blowing that I believe that there's a lot more to consciousness in how this all works just because I've seen enough and heard enough from the people that are having these experiences. And not that I have a great sniffer to falsehoods. And there are some people that just want to be a part of a narrative and will inject themselves into a story. And then you find out later, they never had a near death experience. They never were even sick. Right. Um, but, but there are enough of these elements out there that, keep me wanting to believe, right? I've got the Fox Mulder syndrome. I want to believe. So that helps mm -hmm. me continue to navigate. And, and then having been in places by myself with an audio recorder alone, and I ask a question and a voice responds on my recorder, 
shows me something is there, whether it's cloaked aliens, interdimensional beings, or a cricket that knows how to speak. I don't know what exactly we're dealing with, but I'm fascinated to continue to push those boundaries to find out. And I appreciate when people like you take a hard look at this and are willing to expand and, and the documentary I felt really was a good balance. It didn't just sink its teeth into this is it you were able to look and examine all aspects of this and allow the the viewer their own conclusion at the end of it and i think that people will find that even in a film that's based on this they think is going to direct them that there's still an out for them if they if they choose not to believe right there's still that openness of of a program and that's tough to do and, and you maintain that balance really well throughout the entire film Oh, that's great to hear, Dave. I mean, that's that was the goal in the end, right? Like, we want the viewer to be able to go through and and uh, you know, you, you sink into these stories, but then at the end of the day, you know, you you, you take it and if it means something to you, and it, it, you know, if if yeah, you have to kind of conclude something at the end, whichever way you end up going on it. I was going to say there's a couple there's a couple of things uh, related to near the experiences that, that we do explore in the film that uh, we're also to me, really hard to to deny, I guess, that this maybe that there is a reality of, of something outside of uh, death. So uh, two cases. One, we have Pam Reynolds in our in our film, and we actually talked to uh, one of the neurosurgeons that was present uh, during Pam's surgery. And there, Pam's case is is, is interesting because um, in in that case in particular, you know, it, it's it's uh, there's all this evidence around the time. There's the transcript, medical transcripts. There's there's a EEG monitor. Uh, there's you know measuring her her brain activity, and it has to be flatlined. You know, for the operation to to continue, if there's a blip on this and they're not measuring, um, it's uh, it's medical malpractice. You know, you're working mm -hmm. in the United States. That's I mean, I'm Canada. So mm -hmm. it's a little foreign foreign to me. We don't have litigation up here <laughs> the same way in Canada, uh, but <laughs> in the United States, there's there's reason why you would <laughs> why you would uh, you know be so careful about that. So it was mm -hmm. it would be medical malpractice for them to not be monitoring that. And sure enough, it's flatlined the entire time. Right? She was dead for over an hour and twenty minutes before they brought her back online. I mean, you talk about like a Frankenstein kind of uh, crazy thing out in Europe. This is this is also very. Uh, you know, unusual the the procedure itself, and that they're mm -hmm. they're purposely killing her, and it, and what they do is that they drain the blood from her head. So th the process of doing that, and then of course over over a course of an hour and twenty minutes, her brain physically it cannot. You know, we talked about the dying brain, but this is like a different level where it's not physically able to create anything. There's no. It's just not online. It's completely offline. So there's no material to even create anything new. And in that time is when she has an out-of-body experience. And she's relaying things that are happening in the surgery, in the operating room from, from you know a perspective that's outside of her body. She's seeing her body in different events. And she's relaying all this very specific information, including the song that was playing in the, in the operating theater, which she felt was very insensitive. It was Hotel California. And, uh, you know, she thought, well, my goodness, like <laughs> I'm never going to escape. Right. And then, um, you know, and then, and then certain things, the complications, of the surgery, they had to, they had to move from one leg to the other, uh, in terms of the, the vein, there was, there was an issue with the vein and she thought that was very, you know, strange and unusual. And a description she, of the she, tools. Yeah. The she tools. Had her eyes taped shut. She had a click in her ear. So if like, the brain right. offline was not enough, you know, mm -hmm. it was like every other way to 
taken signal was shut down. And that 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 case was very fascinating. Yeah, and then so she has this autobody experience, and then she goes on and has you know a heavenly experience. She saw hell, she saw heaven, and 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 deceased relatives and angels and all this amazing stuff. But you know the cardiologist in this film who who is studying this, he was so taken aback by by the data around the autobody experience because that stuff can actually be. Quant, you know, we can actually go back and say that that happened or it didn't, right? We can, mm -hmm. you know, you can you can call things out uh, whether they're inaccurate or not. The one of the neurosurgeons, Doctor Carl Green, uh, I mean, he was he says in our film he was spooked. Um, <laughs> this isn't something's not right. You know that that this doesn't this is not possible. So between that and then when people who are blind from birth. Um, have a near-death experience. It's it's really hard to, to find these uh, in these these particular cases. There was a study that was done a few years ago, and and uh, there was 14 people who were blind from birth. Um, you know, it's it's difficult to get the data on on a near-death experience. Typically, it's mm -hmm. hard to find all the medical information around it. But then on top of that, someone who is also you know blind from birth. I didn't realize before people who are blind from birth they don't have visual dreams. So if they're if the retinas never worked, they don't have like an idea of what you know vision would look like. They don't know that they don't see. I mean, right? There's, there's no file to dig in through. Right. In Correct. The brain, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. And actually, even more than that, they don't have a perception of darkness or light. So it's not. Mm -hmm. I always pictured. You know, it's like you know your eyes are shut and uh, you know your, your, your eyes are closed. And <laughs> I don't know. It's like you can kind of, you're, you're aware that you're seeing dark. They, they, they're not aware they're not seeing dark and they don't right. have a perception of light or dark. So, you know, Vicky, uh, who, you know, there was one of the cases in, in, in these 14, she died in a, in a car wreck and she's relaying stuff in a, in a visual, in, in a visual way in terms of, you know, pulling her out, outside of the car and, and getting her into the ambulance and all these kind of visual descriptions of what was happening. And then she figured that must be her body because of the length, rough length of her hair and, you know, the, the ring and what the ring shape was and her wedding ring. And that must, that must be me, I guess, you know, mm -hmm. she's kind of having what we, we might describe as a visual experience, but then she comes back and she's still blind and she still doesn't see, you know, like the, how, how is that happening? How is that, you know, she's not, if she was somehow able to, you know, a new thing was created and she could have new, you know, like a vision right. of, of what that might look like, why would it be so specific and accurate to exactly what happened? It would, it's so strange. So those two, um, those two examples to me, I think are really hard to kind of uh, find alternate, uh, you know, arguments for. Yeah. It's also and pretty I interesting with, just like some of those studies, you would think because there's people dying every day that there'd be a ton of studies around this. And I don't know why more people aren't doing studies around it, but even one of the kind of like spectacular happenstances during the film, it was going to be all just historical evidence. But while we were filming this, uh, Doctors of Mars study got published and it, you know, got circulated across all the news media and everything about the first dying human brain recorded and it's 2022 when this happens like how has this not happened before you would think that you know scientific studies around this are happening all the time and so uh, i'm very interested in seeing how this progresses the science more 
trying to put more information out there to 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 make it a, more of a topic that people are are talking about. Well, gentlemen, I wish you a lot of success with the documentary. We do have a link for your website on today's program guide. When can we expect to see this? How can people go find it and watch the full documentaries? I know that's the number one question right now. Yeah, so the movie's hitting theaters October 27th. It'll be all across the United States, coast to coast. And they can learn more about it on afterlifemovie.com. And you can also find us on Facebook. After Death Movie. Yeah, Stephen, I don't know if you're familiar with the film that you uh, directed, but uh, <laughs> we're going to go. Get don't worry, we have the too. we have the right uh, link on the on the program, so uh, I appreciate it. And you know, I'll leave you with one thing. You ask what made me believe in life after death. Uh, there's a great story uh, with an officer, Tyler Beddoes. Um, they were searching for uh, a mother and child that had gone missing. The car was located upside down in a lake. Uh, they were alerted to it. They went down there. They have body cams on, microphones running. And as they're down there trying to ascertain what's going on, there's very clearly a woman saying, help, you got to help my baby. And they're like, we know, ma'am, we're working on it. And they're doing what they can do. And the water had risen to the point that had they been another half an hour to 45 minutes, that baby would have drowned after being upside down for what, 14 hours in a car with a raging river, they were able to get the baby out. And when they finally got to the woman, they realized she'd been dead probably since impact, but yet she stayed with her child and called for help to make sure that they knew the baby's here. You got to help the baby focus on the baby. That to me was in the fact that, that these are police officers and they're going out on a limb and, and EMT sharing the body footage. It, it becomes pretty, I guess, obvious that, that life extends beyond our physical form. And I hope that people that are out there and seeking answers will continue to check out movies and documentaries like yours and educate themselves with the books and the news and the stories that, that exist out there. Thanks for helping us get the word out and sharing this important conversation, Dave. We're grateful for you. I'd love to talk with you more and please let me know when you're ready to tap into the sequel. Uh, I, I'm sure I can connect you with a bunch of other people that would be happy to discuss their cases. The film is called after death it will be out in october in movie theaters i will continue to talk about this documentary and we will let you know and remind you when the movie comes out so that you get a chance to see it for yourself stay tuned when we come back medium amy christine good friend of our show returns to share her near-death experience we'll do that right here on the very best in paranormal programming i'm dave schrader and this is my paranormal 60. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you'd do if, say, you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Maybe take a nap? Read a book? Or just show up for a friend? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. And the question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're like me, you think, I can get through a lot. And we can. We're a resilient species. However, there are times that we need to reach out that hand and get a little help from somewhere else. That's what I did with BetterHelp. 
when I reached that limit and I realized things were getting a little bit out of control, instead of taking it out on my family or taking it out on myself, I just decided to reach out and get the help that I deserve. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy, my darklings. Get BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com P60. Do that today. You're going to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash P60. It's time to take control of your life. Dave's here rooting you on, and if I can do this, you can do this. Let's do this together. BetterHelp.com slash P60. There's a link for it on today's program guide. All right, my friends, thank you so much for listening and staying and being a part of this conversation with us. Uh, Interesting things, and I know many of you have questions. Many of you want answers. Watch this documentary. It goes much deeper. We, We scrape the surface of this story which I hope whetted your appetite to learn more and uh, find out more of this tale. Let's go now to a friend, somebody that I do know, I do love, I do trust, who's had her own experience. Amy, welcome back to the program. Thank you for being here. Hi, Dave. Thank you so much for having me back. That was really, wow, what a fascinating group of people and what an amazing trailer. Yeah. I'm really, I'm excited. (laughs) And and to find out, you know, again, that, that there are so many people and then, in my circle, you know, it's one thing to say, how many of us are fans of Bruce Springsteen or the McRib sandwich? You know, you're going to have these little pockets because you got weird friends. And but, you know, I, I know a lot of people, Amy, that are in my sphere of influence that have had near-death experiences. And I'm always surprised when the next one pops up. And today, that's you. Uh, that's when me. Did, when did this happen for you? So this happened about 10 years ago. And it was you know, very unexpected. Do you want me to start the story? Yeah, please. (laughs) Okay. So long, long ago, you know, 10 years ago, I was swimming off the um, Gulf in Mexico. And I love swimming. I love the ocean. I'm very, you know, um, attuned to that. I just love fishing all about it. But this was a really interesting stormy particular day hurricane season i shouldn't have been swimming but i think the ego part of me was like i'm gonna go get a fish like nobody's Mm -hmm. gonna tell me what to do right Mm -hmm. so i'm out and i've got my spear and i see this giant parrot fish and i think god that would be delicious so i start swimming after it not realizing that i'm going too far into the dark blue water i mean i usually Mm -hmm. stay in the shallows And I get further and further into the current and realize that I'm really not safe. And I was with a snorkeling group, but they were pretty far away. And um, I started struggling as I was getting pulled under. And I remember looking up and seeing, you know, the the beautiful rays of sunlight coming through the, the surf. And as I was struggling, I had this overwhelming feeling, um, you know, people say life flashes before your eyes. I didn't necessarily have that. It was more of an acceptance mm-hmm. of what was happening. And so I just kind of gave up 
and I got really warm and really cozy, which sounds weird in the ocean, but right. I felt very um, comfortable. And so the next thing I realized is that, you know, I'm looking into a pool of water, my, my consciousness, like looking through my eyes. I'm, it's almost like watching a movie, right? And I see this really kind of ugly looking girl who's super pale. And I think, wow, that girl looks terrible. <laughs> and then I go, oh, you know, that's me. Mm. And, and it was just this, it sunk in, you know, really deeply. And I felt a presence behind me. So there was no tunnel for me. There was no, um, you know, being jolted out of my body. It was a very gentle um, leading of my body, very disassociating. And I heard a voice behind me that said, uh, all right, what do you want to do? If you turn around, you can come here. If you want to go back, you have a purpose. And the purpose wasn't discussed. It was more of like a knowing. I knew that I was going to have to help people in my future and that it was important to share the fact that life continues with other people. And, you know, I was... 10 years ago, I was a lot younger. I was a lot more foolish and cocky and whatnot. And I was like, eh, I think I'll choose life, you know, but the temptation to turn around was very strong. Oh, I can so only I, imagine. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. So I got kind of grand slammed back into my body mm -hmm. and it was super painful. And I was, you know, throwing up and I had realized I had been dead for quite a while. I was purple, I was blue. And everyone, I just remember, um, coming to and seeing all these faces and they're just terrified. Right. And uh, they're like, okay, you're alive. And I thought, Oh, I don't want to be alive. <laughs> Did I sign up for this again? Oh man. And I would say for about a week, I just, I didn't even speak. It was just such a surreal experience to, um, you know, I grew up uh, a psychic medium. I've always known I had that connection to the other side but I knew I was fully there. I was in the in-between, as they say, right? And gradually, I started noting a lot of, like, behavioral changes that I had. You know, all of a sudden, I didn't really vibe with the same friends that I had. And I started to see more of, like, what people call auras around people. Mm -hmm. And it was a little bit of a scary experience. So, um I left my long-term relationship. I joined a Facebook group. Um, it was based out of Seattle. And I just was looking for anyone who could validate that experience with me. So that's why I'm so glad that they're making this documentary. And it's, it's really helpful for people because it can be quite isolating, you know, for sure. Let's, let's do this. We have to take just a quick break. and We'll be right back with Amy Christine and more of her story right after this. Join us for this amazing paranormal conference that's being held in a haunted school in Glen Beulah, Wisconsin. Haunted Midwest Ghost Tours presents Great Lakes Paranormal Conference on September 22nd through the 24th, 2023. We have some great speakers with Jason Hawes, Adam Berry, Sherry Benedetti, Lyle Blackburn, Shane Pittman, Sarah Lemos, Dave Schrader, Jeff Bellinger, along with Wisconsin's very own Chad Lewis, and many more will make this one of Wisconsin's most talked about events. We have over 40 vendors and nighttime investigations at various haunted locations with special guests. 
Get your tickets now at GreatLakesParanormalConference.com and find us on Facebook under the same name. Choose from VIP, General 3-Day, and Day Pass. Again, that's GreatLakesParanormalConference.com. Hey, come on out and see me the weekend after the Glen Beulah Great Lakes Paranormal Conference. I will be doing a walk in the past, September 30th in uh, Vinton, Iowa, with my good friend Josh Hurd. We'll be investigating the Horridge House and Vinton Train Depot. So if you would like to get out and become part of the game, then make sure that you reach out. Check out darknessevents.com. That's darknessevents.com for all the different places I'm going to be, and find out where you can meet and we can investigate together. Again, that's darknessevents.com. Innovation, creation, vitality, and joy are the pulse of mysoultopia.com. With many custom creations for the mind, body, and spirit, along with classes, intuitive sessions, coaching, and healing energies. MySoulTopia.com strives to bring sophistication with a twist to the metaphysical and the holistic market while raising the community's vibration and channeling the new paradigm, which means new and exciting adventures for all. MySoulTopia.com is utopia for your soul. Visit MySoulTopia.com, your one-stop shop for all your metaphysical needs. Offering hand-selected crystals and crystal jewelry, with prices to fit every budget. MySoulTopia.com offers the best selections of tarot and divination cards by top designers, expertly curated and award-winning book collections from top authors on every subject you'll need on your spiritual journey. MySoulTopia is also proud to offer the finest singing bowls and an eclectic collection of the most amazing gemstones crystals, and crystal jewelry from the top metaphysical designers in the world. MySoulTopia.com is always your one-stop shop for award-winning mixes of Florida water, sage spray, and other spiritual protection. So begin your journey with the best resource, MySoulTopia.com. That's MySoulTopia.com. Why mess with the rest when you can start with the best? MySoulTopia.com. Again, that's M-Y-S-O-U-L-T-O-P-I-A.com. And we are back. I'm your host, Dave Schrader, along with me, Amy Christine. We do have a link for Amy on today's program guide as well, so you can go find more information about her, her works, readings, and more. Amy, having had the unique opportunity to have a near-death experience. Did that just solidify your mediumship abilities? Did it make it more concrete for you? Or was it hard to continue to lean into that? Because now you had 100% assurance there is something beyond this world. It's not just Amy's imagination, right? That, that everything you're experiencing is very real. I would guess that that would be kind of a surreal sense and feeling into itself that once you get that verification of something that broad, it's got to be mind-blowing for a while. It, it definitely was. And the voice that I heard was such a familiar voice to me. And now over the course of my spiritual practice and really getting to know, you know, through 
through meditation, my spiritual team, I realized that that was my master guide or what people call a gatekeeper of, you know, my reality. So I feel much more connected to the spirit realm. I found that my sessions got much more intense and much more evidential. And so people that have near-death experiences usually experience all this euphoria, you know, when it's happening. Mm -hmm. But there is there is that downside where, you know, you contemplate, did I make the right choice? You know, and so I I strongly urge anyone who's listening who has had a near-death experience, if they're struggling, find your community to help because that's really validating. I, I think if I, you know, felt any more isolated, that would be kind of a slippery slope for me personally. But I would say at this point in my life, I look at it as, you know, I ascended to this beautiful plane mm -hmm. and I now have my own proof. And I honestly have never really been shy around death. I've always kind of been curious about it. But if that's where I was going and that's how good I felt, I'm okay with it. <laughs> there are so many people out there that fear death, fear the end. And they can't necessarily mm -hmm. explain what it is about death that, that frightens them. For me, it was the just not being here anymore. The, the idea that maybe you just blow out like a candle in the wind and that there's nothing left of you. What advice or what words of wisdom would you impart on listeners across the world that are dealing with that fear of death so that they could get over it and start to enjoy life in a more fulfilling way without the specter of death hanging over their head? Right. Well, I always say now is a beautiful opportunity to trust in the unfolding of your life. So being afraid of death is it's reasonable because it's the unknown. But what people don't truly understand is in the unknown, a lot of magical things can happen. Mm -hmm. And my experience of death is that I came back with this realization that we were all one and that we were eternal beings. And I may have understood it before, but now I embrace it, which is completely different. And I just say, welcome it. It's such a part of your life. And if you see it as a graduation rather than a damnation, you're going to have a more positive experience. I, I can't remember what comedian said it. That was one thing that brought a little peace to me. They were like, for people that are fearful of death, there's nothing after death. Uh, you won't know that there's nothing. So don't let it dictate of your life. And I thought, oh, that's interesting because that is my fear of what if there's just nothing? Well, I won't be aware of it. So stop worrying <laughs> about it. Right. And I was like, well, oh, that's a pretty, pretty solid piece of advice there. Ricky Gervais or whoever uh, uh, spawned that, that bit of wisdom. Um, I love that. <laughs> you know, it's so, it, here's the deal. I, I listen to mediums and, and sensitives and empaths and, psychics talk about this oneness, the connectedness. And in all honesty, from the outside, it sounds like woo-woo tree huggery nonsense. Uh, yeah. um, for many people, I I had a journey a few years ago. Cindy Kaza actually helped uh, arrange for me to do an ayahuasca journey. And it was remarkable. And the one sense I came back with was, we're all connected. We're yeah. all part of this. And maybe, you know, in, in the takeaway for that, um, as our guest said in the last segment, one of the things that people noticed was that they got to see the people that bullied them and see their story. But they also saw their lives and how every person they impacted impacted others. Mm -hmm. 
So mm -hmm. see the connectivity. You see how we are all really part of this one collective. And how much better a world it would be if we just took the time to be kind to one another, even in the face of adversity and anger and frustration and depression, if you could shed that kindness out there. Again, which sounds completely like tree huggery nonsense to a big part of the world, but man, it's it's a consciousness I wish people could open to. And yeah. I thought after my my journey, I, I didn't need to do another one because that was pretty life altering. But now I sit on the other side of three, three and a half years in a major pandemic. And I think I, I need to reconnect again. I need to be reminded of that oneness. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it for people that struggle with the concept of being a part of something, they're feeling so alone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, love is stronger than death. And we have an amazing, you know, spiritual team that's there for us, that's assigned to us, whether it's guardian mm -hmm. angels and, you know, past lives and ancestors. And at this point in my career, I just have way too much proof that I know life continues. And, you know, I'd rather be more of a hippie than not, to be honest, because the <laughs> world right. certainly needs that at this point. <laughs> I concur a hundred percent. Amy, it's always great catching up with you. You are a ray of light and sunshine. I love watching Thanks. your social media feeds, the messages Thanks. that you share and uh, the energy you bring. And I hope that people will reach out to you for readings and to connect because I think that this world could be a little bit better with people like Amy Christine in it. So thank you for being here and being so open to share with us. Yeah, thank you. People matter. Everyone's lives matter. And everyone has a purpose here. And if they feel small, they're actually big in a lot of people's eyes. They don't realize it, you know? Beautiful yeah. sentiment. Well, thank yeah. you so much. We've got links up for Amy Christine in today's program guide. Please go check her out. I think you're going to absolutely love what you find. And you just may find your new guru to help you and hold your hand through the next evolution of your education. I hope that the darkness is just a little bit more light with the information that we share here. And I really want to thank all of my guests that have come forward and Apparently, even little Pablo popping up over my shoulder trying to say hello to everybody here. For once, he's not biting me in the back of the skull or my back, so it's nice to have him here. Maybe he feels the connectedness, the oneness. For those of you that are not watching but listening to the audio, I am being pawed at and loved on by my cat as we wrap up today's show, and that's a good reminder. Be kind. Be kind to yourself as well because sometimes you need to give yourself the love and forgiveness that you're seeking elsewhere. And we will be back. We've got an interesting show coming up for you this Wednesday. It is more paranormal encounters, more stories from you, the listeners, put to soundscapes and mindscapes. So please tune in and enjoy that program. Until then, I am your host, and this is my realm. I'll see you again real soon, right here on the Paranormal 60. Paranormal 60.